You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. This is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. The the transition to fall underway out there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. The chocolate lady and that outstanding staff, they're transitioning that store. They're getting you in that fall state of mind. You're going to see more and more football-related type items, I'm sure, there. At Peterbrook Chocolatier, but the staples remain the same, man. The staples remain the same. The chocolate lady told me that she had a listener of the program come in yesterday who admitted that he had become addicted to the chocolate popcorn. I mean, that is, that's the granddaddy of them all at Peterbrook Chocolatier. It all goes back to the chocolate popcorn. And I know, look, if you haven't had it, you hear chocolate popcorn, chocolate covered popcorn, you think, eh, trust me when you try it. It's going to make all the sense in the world. Joined on the program, as always, by executive producer Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the 60 Minute Man of Sports Talk Radio. Joe, how you doing on this Thursday morning? I'm doing great, Travis, and I'm here to vouch for that chocolate-covered popcorn, and I'm looking oh. forward to uh, maybe a chocolate-covered football filled with a chocolate-covered popcorn. Yeah, that's the best kind of inflation. You know, I think if Tom Brady... You know, we're talking about inflated footballs, deflated footballs. If we were able to get Tom Brady one of those chocolate popcorn inflated, real life-sized chocolate footballs, I think Tom Tom would really enjoy one of those, no doubt about it. Uh, it was a sushi night last night, Joe Gaither. So the boys down uh, downtown upstairs uh, sent their regards, asked about you. Oh, that's very nice of them. Every time they want to know how Joe Gaither's doing. I tell him he's doing great. He's the major domo. He's the driving force. It tied 100.9 FM. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And after dinner, okay, not that we're trying to be all narkish or anything or policing the college kids, but we did cruise back down the strip. I'll tell you, it is nice. It's nice now that since we do have School back in session, those roads, right? University Boulevard, Bryant Drive, all that area down there. For the most part, anyway. We still got some toe-up from the flow-up areas down there. Don't get me wrong. Pretty much, you can travel through there, congestion-free now. And so we cruise back down the strip and pass some of the more popular haunts as you transition from downtown into the strip area. And I will say, I mean, there were still some crowds out. But even on the exterior of establishments, I saw young people in some mass. So, look, we'll take what we can get, right, as we try to move forward to a college football season. Man, we've got high school football cranking up tonight. Joe Gaither, you're going to be out at Tuscaloosa County tonight, right? Yes, sir. First time being out there. I'm looking forward to it. Nice setup out there at uh, Tuscaloosa County. Nice stadium. It should be a good one. Paul Bryant. At Tuscaloosa County, interesting, kind of falls in line with the narratives that we've been 
hearing so much about, more so in relation to college football, because with the spike in the testing numbers, the positive tests, which were to be expected, right? Especially if you're an institution that didn't really plan on testing folks until they got back to campus, uh, if that was more of the emphasis. As we know, here in Tuscaloosa at UA, you couldn't attend a class or enroll at UA until you presented a clear test. Uh, but with those increasing numbers, you've seen, you saw North Carolina yesterday. It's been a rough week for UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, had some big numbers in terms of positive tests and has decided to pause athletic training and events for the time being up there at UNC. And look, if you're the SEC, that's another reason why you pretty much decided that you weren't going to play until September the 26th. You were essentially going to give yourself from the start of fall classes at most of your member institutions, you were going to give yourself at least 40 days or somewhere in that neighborhood to get in 25 practices. Makes sense, right? Because you kind of have to anticipate what has exactly happened here in the last week. It's not a surprise. You know, these numbers that we're hearing at some different places. Meanwhile, the ACC is still trying to play on September the 19th, the week before the SEC gets underway. We'll see. You know, the Big 12 trying to play September 12th. Everybody should have just gone ahead and followed the SEC. You know, we knew the Big Ten wouldn't be able to do it. We knew the Big Ten wouldn't be able to swallow their pride, swallow its pride. And the Pac-12 is Fredo, as we've told you, the Big Ten's Michael Corleone. So any which way, you know, if Michael was going to move the family operation out to Lake Tahoe like he did in GF2, of course, Fredo, even with all of his shortcomings and his impending doom at the hands of Michael, was going to go out to Lake Tahoe. Well, that's the Pac-12. That's what the Pac-12 is going to do in relation to the decisions made by the Big Ten. But, you know, you're seeing and hearing more about, well, you're going to have to probably transition to remote learning. You know, our youngest, <laughs> our youngest is a freshman at UA. And, of course, we know classes at UA started yesterday. And she was set to have two in-person class meetings per week, like just two. And before she could even start classes yesterday, she got notifications that those, even those two uh, in-person meetings had gone uh, remote. So before she even started her academic career at UA yesterday, her first semester will be entirely remote learning. And so now we hear about, well, if you're going to do that, can you really play sports and have remote learning? NCAA's been okay with remote learning for years, people. You know, look at all the, the kids at the high school level that homeschool and still play athletics. And still, as homeschool kids, and I've got no problem with it, I'm just pointing this out to you, as homeschool kids are admitted by NCAA member institutions academically and are certified for competition by the NCAA eligibility process. You know, the NCAA is okayed remote learning and participation simultaneously for a long time now. Hadn't been a problem. So now all of a sudden we have an optical issue if we go remote learning really across the board, which is probably where we're headed with all this. And, uh, and we play sports. Heck, high school football starting tonight. What is Tuscaloosa City Schools doing for the first nine weeks of this semester? What are they doing? They're doing remote learning, right? Guess who's playing football this weekend? Tuscaloosa City High Schools. And I don't have a problem with that either. Just pointing it out. You know? So we should be able to do it on the collegiate level. If it comes down to it, as long as it's safe, as long as we have a safe environment for all these young people, for them to participate within, 
then I, I don't I don't get the problem other than the optics, of course, of remote learning paired with athletic competition and participation in extracurricular activities. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. If you'd like to check in with us on a Thursday morning, we'd love to hear from you. Coming up a little bit later, we're going to check in with my good pal Chase Goodbread, my neighbor Chase Goodbread of NFL.com. We're going to get into the opt-out effect in college football, uh, and we'll see if we can get his thoughts on that. You've seen more of the fallout here in the last couple of days. Uh, a couple of Pac-12 and Big Ten prospects have said, look, I'm not playing spring football or winter football or whatever the hell the Big Ten's trying to sell at this point. Big Ten, boy, trying to pick up the pieces in the midst of this PR debacle for that league, right? Trying to put a smiley face and, oh, well, you know, we're not going to play in the fall, but we'll play in the winter. Well, you're still going to be living with all this in the winter, aren't you? I mean, there's been some good news. Speaking of the Big Ten, there's been some good news just this morning. Apparently, uh, a study at Rutgers University uh, has us in pretty good shape, perhaps, to be able to get more into uh, a testing procedure via saliva uh, that could really be a breakthrough where coronavirus and flu are concerned. So props to the Big Ten for Rutgers. Go ahead and make, uh, if this plays out like it sounds like it could with Rutgers researchers, go ahead and give the Scarlet Knights any and all Big Ten championships for this uh, calendar academic and athletic year. Just go ahead. Rutgers, 2020-21 Big Ten champs and everything if they're able to uh, get this to fruition. But, um, no, I mean, we hear from the NCAA. It's just all the contradictions on almost a daily basis, it seems like, when it comes to the NCAA. You know, we hear yesterday, what do we hear? Well, Anyone who participates in fall sports, whether they actually participate this fall or in in the, in the winter slash spring, if fall sports are postponed, uh, they're going to be able to keep the year of eligibility. Well, what about the kids back in the winter? You know, what about the kids in college basketball that didn't get to finish their seasons? Yes, I understand. They played regular seasons. They were pretty much in tournament mode, conference tournament mode. Um, and then everything was shut down. But we didn't allow the winter sport kids to keep their year, but we're going to allow the fall sports kids to play a full year, start to finish, and keep the year of eligibility. How does that make any sense? You know? And as the parent of a winter sport kid, hell yeah, I've got a problem with that. And you want to know why I have a problem with it? It's not even just because my kid found out that her collegiate career was over in a team meeting watching film of what they thought was going to be their quarterfinal opponent in the Big West Women's Basketball Tournament. It's that with that extra year, you know what my kid could get? My kid could get a master's. She's not the only one either. So again, and and at the time, you know, I was okay with, yeah, okay, the winter sports kids, they pretty much got to the finish line. We're going to do this more for the spring kids, you know. And look, I don't have a problem with the fall kids getting it. Good for them. Take it for all it's worth. Ride it for all you can get it. I mean, you got a guy like Josh McMillan at Alabama. He's a six-year senior. Is he going to get a seventh year now? You got Brandon Kennedy. Former Alabama offensive lineman, grad transferred out a couple of years ago now. Brandon Kennedy left UA to go to Tennessee. Had an injury his first year up at UT when he had two years of eligibility left. NCAA granted him a six-year. Brandon Kennedy going to be a seventh-year senior in 2021? Hey, if he can make it work, good for him. But it's just the uneven nature of it all when it comes to the NCAA. You know, we're going to give kids an extra year of eligibility who 
compete and participate from start to finish. But then we've got guys like Cade Mays who can't get a waiver approved for immediate eligibility at Tennessee when we're going to have the one-time transfer rule coming into effect in probably four months' time from now. Crazy times, man. Crazy, crazy times. 205-342-9904. Let's head to the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line right now. Check in with our pal Johnny down in Florida. Johnny, how you doing this morning? I'm great, Travis. How are you, buddy? I'm uh, I'm soapboxing, Johnny, a little bit this morning, you know? Soapboxing. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to uh, follow up uh, the last time that we spoke that I that we were chatting as, as fathers that <laughs> UA would get our child in there and then pull the hook on us once the check is cleared. So... I am fresh. Yeah, I, haven't, I, I haven't heard from UA yet, Johnny. Surprisingly enough, on a a discount, you know, for all remote learning, I haven't heard anything about that yet, Johnny. I, I'm sure, I'm sure UA will let me know as soon as possible, though, right? Oh, absolutely, and I'm sure their <laughs> English 101 is far better than the local community college here at you know twenty dollars oh, a gosh. credit hour. Look, <clears> but. I'll tell anybody that asks me when it and look, UA's great. I'm not saying it's not. I understand why kids want to go there. It's the whole student, the whole college experience. I get all that, but in terms of educational value, unless you have a real interest in that aspect of it, you need to be at Shelton State. There, there's just just straight up educational value in the first two years. There is far more value to you at Shelton State. Than there is at UA. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I even posed the question: How about I just give you a check right now for the amount of money it would cost to go up there and sit on a computer? You can put it in the bank and then save it and go to community college down here. And that didn't work either. Wow. Yeah, you're pretty good, Johnny. You know, I've tried some of those huh? same negotiational tactics, and I've I've had about the same level of success. I think we've talked about that in the past too you know we're not yeah, we're not successful successful negotiators when it comes to uh 18 year old daughters it sounds like yeah well that's that's to be expected but uh other than that complaint i wanted to also brag on the big 10 for a second because uh, did you hear the uh i don't know his name but the chief cardiologist for the mayo clinic talking about myocarditis and his opinion with college football. Did you ever see that report? Well, I, I don't know if I saw that entire report. You know, we've had Dr. Aloya Earl on with us sort of covering it, but uh, hit me with it. Fill me in a little bit there. Well, myocarditis is something that, I mean, anybody can get from any infection. If you're right. If you're predisposed to it, you can get it. And the, the poor kid up in Indiana, obviously, it was either genetically predisposed or whatever happened, you know. But you can get it from influenza. You can get it from anything, any kind of viral or bacterial Correct. infection. Yeah. And, and so the report basically, you know, this is, you know, I'm not a cardiologist, but I know a lot about medicine. And the report, this, this guy was basically saying exactly that and that college football should go on that there's a thousand reasons why it should go on economically, you know, everything emotionally for people, everything. And that we can't, we can't put a spotlight on a potential, uh, say, second effect of, of an infection that, you know, has been out there for years. So it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to drive my car because I could be in an accident or I'm not going to fly a plane because it could crash. And, and that's well, kind of what it's like for myocarditis. Myocarditis is something we've been living with for decades now, you know, and and the athletic world has already been living with it. And, you know, I would think as much as anything, the heat and exhaustion related deaths that we've seen in sports with an emphasis on football, it seems like more so than any of the others that you got to think myocarditis has been very much ramped up on the radar 
of athletic trainers and team doctors and programs in general. I saw just today, because we talked about this with Dr. Earl when we had her on. A, I don't know. It's been a while. We were out in front on all this compared to a lot of places. But, you know, we even asked her about the economics involved, the financial aspect of it, the costs, you know, that it is to a program to screen for myocarditis. And she said it's essentially an EKG that a lot of folks can have done for 50 bucks. And sure enough, I see this morning where, because I was wondering in relation to all of college athletics, because we hear, and it's, and it's legitimate, the concern about financially being able to screen and do the things medically that need to be done. And then I see this morning where you know, a freshman quarterback at Georgia State, they, they detected what he described as a, a heart ailment. And maybe it was myocarditis. I don't know. But it just shows you that he was post-COVID-19, and this was detected in the aftermath. And this is Georgia State, Johnny. So right. it kind of tells you that pretty much across the college athletics landscape, it's something that's being looked for and can be detected. Well, two things. One, the Big Ten really, it seemed like that was the straw that broke the camels back with them. And to me, someone in medicine, I was shaking, I was scratching my head going, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense because it's just not prevalent enough. I mean, it can happen to anybody at any time with any infection. And, was and it the, the straw, thing though, I wanted Johnny? To... Was it the straw or was the Big Ten already there? And just knowing that the reaction, what it would be to something like myocarditis. You bring up a cardiovascular issue and young people especially, and that that slams a lot of doors, right, on, on plane yeah. or, or anything like that. Yeah, I think I would answer all the above on that question. But but I want to throw this out super quick. One of the things with all the kids coming back, you're going to see these huge spikes, right, in COVID, you know, testing and and, and positives. But what's really going to be interesting is to see if hospitalization rates and ICU uh, units don't go up as far as their population. So if if you have hospital hospitalization rates continuing to decline, but you have these giant spikes in COVID cases, that's going to tell a lot about what COVID really is. Well, I think in in college towns, it's in places like Tuscaloosa, you know, it's, if that is the case, and I I don't know if it will be, perhaps it will be. If that is the case, it's going to sort of reaffirm what some of the, widely held beliefs in terms of demographics, I guess, for the, for yeah. the, uh, for the virus are as much as anything. Yep. Hey, Johnny, we got to get to this break, but as always, we appreciate the call, my man. All right. You take care. There he goes. Johnny down in Florida, checking in with us on a Thursday morning. Going to head to a quick break. We come back. Chase Goodbread of NFL.com. Talk with Chase. We'll catch up with Good Bread. Spend a little while here on the program. We'll do that when Southern Fried Sports, presented by Peterbrook Chocolatier, returns on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Cloudy at times with scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms across West Alabama this afternoon and tonight. The high today 86, the low tonight 69. Tomorrow, a mostly cloudy day with a good chance of showers and thunderstorms. The high at 85. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app.
back with more of a Thursday edition of Sunrise Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. CBSSports.com has come out with its 2020 preseason All-American team. And as you might expect, heavy representation by the Alabama Crimson Tide on those squads. Nine Alabama players in all. And makes even more sense when you consider that pretty much your preseason All-American team right now consists of really three Power Five leagues because, well, you don't have the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And there's a sprinkling of some G5 on this list as well. But mostly you're looking at guys from the SEC, ACC, and Big 12. And so for Alabama, first-teamers include Devontae Smith, the wide receiver, Alex Leatherwood, who was a unanimous selection. On defense, first-teamers for Alabama, Dylan Moses, a unanimous selection at linebacker. Patrick Sertan, the second is a first-team preseason All-American at corner. Jalen Waddell, the punt returner there on the first-team All-American team. Uh, Najee Harris, second-team running back. Waddell makes it again, this time as a second-team wide receiver. Deontay Brown, one of your second-team offensive linemen there. And all-purpose. How about Jalen Waddell? Jalen Waddell made three different spots on the preseason CBS All-American team. He's also the all-purpose selection on the, on the second team. So he made the second team as a wide receiver and as the all-purpose guy and the first team as the punt returner. How about that, Chase Goodbread, as we bring you on here? Jalen Waddle, Man, he's all over these All-American teams. He's got to be a serious threat for the Horning Award, wouldn't you think, this year? I think so. I think, I think of Alabama's players – he is at the top of my list for another award that starts with the H and that one's the Heisman. Now look, it's a quarterback award. We both know that, but I look at Jalen Waddle as a guy that can produce enough. Wow. Plays to sort of crack that fortress. Good bread around those quarterbacks and at least maybe make it interesting for a non quarterback in that race. I know a lot of people look at Najee Harris from the Alabama perspective and point to him and that's sensible. But then I look at Jonathan Taylor last year, good bread at Wisconsin, guy rushed for 2,000 yards, didn't get an invite to New York. It's hard for me to consider Najee, you know? Quarterback's award for sure. And and I'll say this on Waddle's behalf as far as his candidacy. If you look at the limited history of wide receivers that have won that award, Tim Brown and Desmond Howard, well, they were both big yep. return guys. I, I, you almost have, you have to be a big return guy to even contend as a receiver, and and Waddle brings that to the table too. Yeah, and you you lose Justin Fields from that race, good bread. That's a slot. You know, that's a slot that opens up. You know, you still got Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be a problem for anybody looking to make a run now. But. Um, and whoever Oklahoma's quarterback is, right, will be in New York. Yeah. Probably Spencer Rattler. You can almost set your watch by that, too, I guess. Chase, uh, let's talk about opt-outs, because I know here in the last couple of days, sort of, I'm sure you anticipated this with the decisions by the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to push back to a, a spring league. Uh, some pretty notable names, including a defensive lineman from USC that I was really – looking forward to, to seeing go against Alabama's offensive line. Is it Jay Tuafeli uh, yeah, that has Tufeli. decided that he's going to go ahead? Tuafeli? Yeah, he's on his way out. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm I'm frankly surprised we haven't seen a bombardment of opt-outs from Big Ten and Pac-12 guys. Now, that's coming for sure. I'm just surprised we haven't seen it immediately after they decided that they weren't going to play. It hadn't happened. It's been more of a trickle so far, uh, but it's 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 coming. There's no doubt. I don't I don't think a whole lot of guys, a whole lot of top guys, are going to be excited about playing any spring ball. What about from the conferences that are left? 
especially with, again, an emphasis on the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12. And I know you were snooping around, good bread. I caught you snooping around that Alabama Zoom teleconference with Dylan Moses and Devontae <laughs> Smith the other day, good bread. Uh, yeah. Kind of poking and you were poking and prodding, I thought, you know, where it comes <laughs> to a couple of possibilities for opt outs, Chase. Well, yeah, Smith, of course, said he, he's got no intention of opting out. And, you know, my question for Moses, and I would have liked to have gotten a follow-up question, but that's not easy on uh, Zoom protocol, I guess. But it's a different situation for Moses because he hadn't played since 2018. And so for him, an opt-out's really not an option at all because you don't. no, no one's going to want to present themselves as a draft prospect with a two-year layoff he wants to show he's back he wants to show his knee is good so there's a case of a guy even though he's a top draft draft prospect who needs this seat in a lot of ways uh you know medically speaking and in terms of scouting evaluations so uh it's a it's a different situation for every kid but you can go up and down the list there's and look, Dylan Moses isn't alone. There are several guys like that. I mean, look, look at a guy like uh, Rashad Weaver at Pitt. Missed all the last year with an injury. He's one of the best uh, defensive linemen in the ACC in 2018. These guys, these guys need this season to play out. And unfortunately for some Big Ten and Pac-12 guys in the same situation, uh, they're not they're not going to get that chance. Good, Brad. Do these SID people get a little uncomfortable when you roll into these Zoom? Uh, teleconferences with these potential opt-outs, you know, they get a little uncomfortable when the NFL.com man rolls in there because they know what's coming, don't they? They kind of know yeah. what's coming. Yeah. My focus is a little narrow, Grant. <laughs> a little narrow. Uh, you're not, you're not checking in to, to see, uh, to ask a question about, you know, a, high, uh, a pop one or teammate, you know, and kind of a grassroots type story. Yeah. That's not nah. your angle there with the NFL.com <laughs> talking with Chase Goodbread, of course, of NFL.com on a Thursday edition of Southern fried sports. Um, Chase talk about what we heard yesterday in relation to players being able to compete in the fall or in the winter slash spring, whatever it may be and maintain it that year of eligibility. Um, there's always a ripple effect you know, when you talk about seniors that could be back for another year and, you know, how it could drive scholarship numbers in excess of 100 players for 2021, perhaps even in some instances, how do you envision that perhaps impacting the draft process? Or do you think that'll be more of a situation where it could encourage more transfers than anything else? It impacts both. It definitely impacts the draft. Matter of fact, I've, I've been beating around those bushes on the phone this morning uh, and will continue to do so throughout the day. But look, if if a senior can finish up this fall and say, ah, I think I'm going to want to be a senior again. Well, what does that do for the, what does that do for the NFL? And, and when does that guy have to make that decision? Right. I mean, all that plays in. Uh, you, you've got um, NFL teams that are going to be building scouting reports on seniors this fall who can't necessarily expect they'll even come out. So there's that factor. And then you got to look at, um, from a deadline standpoint, at some, regardless of eligibility, even if they can be a senior twice, the NFL sooner or later is going to going to want to going to want to know what what the field is, and of course, mid January is the deadline for underclassmen, and so I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we see the league uh, issue some kind of statement that seniors uh, are going to need to make their decision on the draft, maybe right around the same time, uh, just so that just so that clubs have a handle on exactly what the field's going to be without without so much uncertainty talk about that maybe a little more extensively in terms of forecasting what even this next draft process is going to look like once we get into the new year and the senior bowl's a part of that as well down in mobile um what are you hearing on that front what type of flexibility 
uh, do these different mile markers sort of have perhaps? I know the NFLPA and the collective bargaining agreement comes into effect, I guess, or into play when you start trying to uh, move some some pieces around in that process. Yeah, the, the NFL um, likes its calendar. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, they, they, it's it's generally pretty rigid. Now, with a pandemic, obviously, these are completely unique circumstances. So, you know, the fact that they took the draft out of Las Vegas last year and held it virtually tells you that, you know, nobody's immune. Uh, but they held it as scheduled, same, you know, in the very dates that it was supposed to have gone off. Uh, so keep that in mind as well, but yeah, there's definitely going to be some sentiment, I think maybe to, to move some things around. I think the draft, according to the, uh, the league's agreement with the NFL PA, the collective bargaining agreement says that, that the draft can't be passed. I think it can't be scheduled beyond June 2nd without, uh, players association approval. So, uh, that creates, uh, a more of a defined window on when that could happen. But to whatever extent they can, I, th- I think you're going to see the, in- the the NFL stick to uh, its its normal time schedule uh, as much as possible un- unless circumstances just, just make it impossible. But uh, more than likely, I think you'll see the combine and the draft go off as scheduled. As we let you go here, Chase, uh, we both understand in great detail that even in a pandemic, the man doesn't pause, okay? The man takes no days off, and so with that, we see some some betting lines for that first week of SEC play, uh, maybe some, some of these that perk your ears up, or uh, maybe some, some thoughts, Alabama uh, is going to lay right now 21 and a half on the road at Missouri. Uh, Florida laying 10 and a half on the road at Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Home dogs have teeth, kids. Remember that. Uh, Georgia on the road going to lay 24 at Arkansas. Uh, Auburn laying seven and a half at home against Kentucky. Mississippi State getting 17 and a half on the road in Mike Leach's debut at LSU. Tennessee, a three-point road favorite in a matchup with South Carolina, and Vanderbilt getting 29-and-a-half in College Station. Anything uh, of interest to you there with these these lines that we're seeing? Mostly double-digit numbers you're tossing out there. Big numbers. Big Some big, ones, yeah. big road favorites, yeah. Well, uh, that, that, that Alabama, didn't that Alabama number open at 19? Yeah, and I think I want to say Florida Ole Miss opened around nine. So the boys are already the boys are they don't waste much time, do they? Getting involved in the act, they like the action, Chase. They love the action. It's called discretionary income, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I I, I don't know. I, double digits for Ole Miss as, as an underdog to Florida. I don't know. That that, that sounds sounds a little high to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, mm-hmm. but who knows it, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see what Lane Kiffin does with that, with that program and his first shot, especially under all these circumstances. Um, and off that, off the subject of, of the lines, some interesting comments I thought from Lane Kiffin this week on, uh, advocating for, uh, these guys who can't play in the, and, and conferences that have shut down to be able to transfer and, and be eligible right away I, I totally agree with him yeah absolutely uh and we we sort of revert this all back to the opt-outs you know you talked about Ole Miss going to be without uh their starting center Eli uh Johnson who is is opted out um of course we know his father had an epic battle with COVID-19 uh covers the Ole Miss Rebels for us there on the 247sports.com network um and then Maybe Kerry Vincent Jr. is is that one flying under the radar a little bit from the LSU perspective? That that's a pretty key piece to that LSU secondary. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And the numbers, the number of guys that are that are opting out is is legit draft prospects. I mean, and it, numbers growing up probably it's it's in the double digits now for sure. And Vincent's definitely a guy that's going to make a big impact on 
that LSU secondary with his absence. I'll tell you what else was a big one was Vanderbilt losing Dimitri Moore, their leading tackler from 2019. Yeah. He's opted out. Good player, no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, Chase, man, we appreciate the time. Uh, you got a you got a big green egg update for us. What's uh, what's coming up next? Uh, well, I think I think you've been over to my place recently enough to have seen uh, a second smoker that was kind of in a, in a, in a yes. state of a rebuild, uh, and it, it's gone online now. It's up and running, and uh, had it. It's a it's a Primo Oval XL four hundred. And I would have to say, Travis, that my big green egg is green with envy uh, right now because because <laughs> uh, uh, I've been I've been I've been working this new one here lately. Uh huh. Good bread. We're gonna eventually see good bread up at uh, Memphis in May. You know, he'll be a, a combatant in that uh, cook-off up there, and I'll I'll be there. I'll be there as his sort of first lieutenant. You know, just quality control guy as he turns it out up there. Hey, We're Chase, gonna do it one day. Absolutely. That and Goodbread and I, I don't know if I should say this, but we're going to uh, eventually get around to the to the real the real documentary on the life and times of Buford Pusser. We're going to tackle that at some point. That'll be on Netflix probably around 2036 when we get around it's to on that. The that, that. It's on the bucket list. On the bucket list, yeah. We'll have that, Wait, uh, we'll have that Dirty South uh, LP is the soundtrack, you know, for that one. We, we probably ought to speed that project up, though, because the clock's ticking on the folks that were around to remember anything. You, know? <laughs> you can go to that Buford Pusser Museum and see the vet. I mean, they got the vet on display down in the basement, down the garage. Yeah, you can see it for yourself. All right, Goodbread, take care. We'll right, talk we'll to you again you. soon. There he goes, Chase Goodbread of NFL.com. With us here on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Back with more of the show on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Eight. Play, Dan. Cloudy at times with scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms across West Alabama this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 86. The low tonight, 69. Tomorrow, a mostly cloudy day with a good chance of showers and thunderstorms. The high at 85. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. him the same age as Pops. You know, in terms of coolness factor, I don't know if you put Pops up there with Bob Plant. Do you? Anyway, Led Zeppelin, your playlist theme of the day. It's that time of year. It's really been the entire year, right? When you talk about 2020 in general, where no news is good news. Well, South Carolina football got some news today, which means in all likelihood, we're not about to translate some uh some good news for the Gamecocks unfortunately freshman running back Marshawn Lloyd gonna miss the entire 2020 season with a torn ACL that was revealed earlier today so uh it's a tough one for the Gamecocks who are going to open the season at home against the Tennessee Vols on September the 26th that's that three-point line that line might go up a little bit and I'm sure that South Carolina has some other capable backs but uh, that was a guy that South Carolina was really looking forward to getting going early on in Marshawn Lloyd. And similar to Alabama here a year ago with Trey Sanders, right? Early on, fall camp 2019, Trey Sanders goes down for the season with that lower extremity injury. Looks to be back to pretty much previous form at this point. 
You heard Steve Sarkeesian earlier in the week speak of Trey Sanders as a real possibility there in that mix to go along with Najee Harris, Brian Robinson. And then what appears to be a gulf between the top three and then the newcomers, uh, Kyle Edwards, Roy Dell Williams, Jace McClellan, really good looking trio of freshman backs for the Alabama Crimson Tide. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line in the moments we still have left with you on this Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports, which is brought to you in part by Houston Hydrasteam, our good friends there at Houston Hydrasteam, do an outstanding job, great service, dependability, and uh, extremely thorough in how they go about what they do. 205-553-9460, that's going to put you in touch with Jackie and all the great folks there at Houston Hydrasteam. We have experienced the Houston Rug Revival firsthand, I can tell you, it is outstanding. Uh, We had the carpets done, we had the rugs done, we had the upholstery done, the tile, the grout, the backsplashes, just about anything you can think of inside your home or even your commercial uh, setup. They can take care of you right there at 205-553-9460. Speaking of Alabama football, Crimson Tide back on the practice field this afternoon. Expected to hear from Pete Golding coming up later this evening. Be interesting to see what Pete has to say. Going into his second full season as the defensive boss of the Crimson Tide, Pete caught some heat following that uh, 2019 campaign. Wasn't pretty. We've outlined some of the deficiencies. Uh, And you heard Nick Saban talk about it earlier in the week. And the numbers support it. As much as anything, it starts with that front seven, and returning to that sort of fortress setup that was extremely difficult to run the football against, especially from a stretch of really even going back to 08, 09, 10, 2010, that was an underachieving group in just about every way, that entire football team. Alabama finished third in the SEC in 2010 in rush defense. When you think about the dudes it had, That's kind of hard to imagine, but that's what it was in 2010. But 2011 to 2017, Alabama ranked first in rush defense. A little bit of a drop-off in 2018, and then especially when you just take into consideration a league play last year, a major drop-off, 10th in the SEC in league games only in rush defense. That's not Alabama. So getting back to that standard, obviously – at the top of the to-do list for Pete Golding. And look, whatever you think of Pete Golding, you have to take into account the series of events that hit that team last year. And you can start up front, DJ Dale very early on. Uh, injury wasn't really the same guy the rest of the season. He was a true freshman to start with. Uh, the injuries at inside linebacker, uh, you know, There were plenty of reasons for for what we saw. Um, And the expectation is going to be that with the lumps that a lot of those young guys took last year, the return of Dylan Moses from injury, uh, that we see an Alabama defense more representative of what the expectation is for the Crimson Tide on that side of the ball. There's no doubt about that. But it will, again, start with the health. You know, is Dylan Moses really back to that guy? That's going to be one of the fascinating aspects about a preseason run-up in which media availability is so limited in terms of what you can kind of see for yourself or what you can sort of pull from folks whose eyes you trust, right? I mean, typically in the run-up to a season in a fall camp, you'll have a couple of couple of three scrimmages you know and they'll be they'll be close to the media but they're not close to everybody and so uh you you tend to have some eyes and ears around more so than you're gonna have so when you go into that missouri game 
for the most part, you're still going to get some things here and there, even with the current setup. But it's going to be a revelation in a lot of ways when you see Alabama or Auburn or any other team on the field for the first time when the 2020 season gets underway. Hey, some PGA Tour stuff as we get out of here on a Thursday up in Boston at the Northern Trust. You've got that contingent of former Alabama players. Justin Thomas really turned his round around on his back nine. Uh, Played a stretch of five holes there in the middle of the round. uh, Excuse me, seven holes in the middle of the round at five under to go from two over on the round to three under through 16 holes now. Um... Robbie Shelton threw four holes as one under. Michael Thompson had a similar round to JT in that he was three over through his front nine and then played his back nine and three under for an even par 71. Same for Bud Cauley, even par 71 for him as well. So uh, if you're wondering about Tiger Woods, he is two under through 15 right now. Another good round on the nationwide, uh, excuse me, the Corn Ferry Tour up in Columbus, Ohio at the Nationwide Children's Hospital Championship. Former Alabama standout Lee Hodges gets out with a 5-under 66 this morning up there on the Scarlet Course at the Ohio State University Golf Club. He's currently solo first. Lee Hodges, Davis Riley. Former Alabama players participating on the Corn Ferry Tour this weekend as well. The lunch whistle today. That's Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Get by there and check out our good friends there. Heat Pizza Bar, outstanding pizza. Specials nightly you're going to find there at Heat Pizza Bar. You're going to have the uh, bar specials as well, drink specials as well on the weekend. So uh, you want to do that. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Thanks to Joe Gaither for producing the show, the outstanding crew there at Tide 100.9 FM, and Chase Goodbread joining us as well from NFL.com. Until 11 a.m. on Friday, have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. Thank you for-